0: That music makes me feel like a game show host, I don't know why. (laughs) Welcome to VRBC Live. Uh, Hey, good morning, so glad to be with you today. My name is John, I'm one of the pastors here. Our senior pastor, Larry Parsley, is away today. His 20th anniversary at VRBC was in 2019 and the church gave him a trip. It's been postponed several times, pandemic, etc., but they're finally able to be, he and Jalita are able to be away, so I know you'll want to pray for them. And also, if you've noticed the large hole over here, it is because our high school students are away on retreat. Uh, There's about 40 students and sponsors uh, on retreat today. So if you would just keep them in your prayers, that this would be a special time for them. Well, I'm excited uh, to continue this teaching series called Odd Couples. Uh, What's an odd couple? It's, It's two people or two groups of people who by all outward appearances shouldn't get along, but somehow they find unity. Even though the odds are stacked against them, they are able to stay connected. And In this series, we're seeing that all throughout scripture, you find these odd couples. By God's grace, these people that are so different from one another on the outside somehow experience this miraculous unity. We've seen it happen for Ruth and Naomi. We saw it happen for Ananias and Saul. And we're praying that increasingly we would see it happen for us as we follow Jesus together. This week, uh, we're looking at a story from the book of Acts. It's about the apostle Peter and a man named Cornelius. And man, this is an odd couple if there ever was one. These guys were super, super different. Uh, First of all, Peter was a Jew and Cornelius uh, was a Gentile. Peter was a fisherman, working class guy. Cornelius was a military officer, middle class guy. Uh, Peter was from Judea. And Cornelius was a a Roman military officer. And in case you're wondering, the Judeans were not super happy about the Roman officers, the Roman military uh, occupying their territory. So if there were a friendship version of Match.com, these guys would not be a match, okay? They are as different as they can be. But what we're going to see in today's passage is that despite those long odds, they become an odd couple. Speaking of today's passage, uh, it is a long one. It's a long one. The story of Peter and Cornelius is so important to Luke, the author of Acts, that he devotes a chapter and a half to it, uh, 66 verses. That's why we plan this uh, sermon on a day when the Cowboys play at 3 o'clock. So (laughs) just be ready, all right? Be ready. Uh, This is by far the longest story in the the book of Acts, and and that's not an accident. Uh, Luke spends that much time on this story because it's super significant. This is a big deal. It highlights one of the key turning points in the story of the gospel. God in this story reveals something to Peter that was so big it radically changed the trajectory of the church. So I promise I am not going to preach for two hours, but I'm going to do some things a little bit differently. Normally at this point we would read the whole passage that we're focusing on, but normally that would be five or ten verses. And so I'm not going to read the whole passage to you. What I'm going to do is ask you to turn to Acts chapter 10. And have that open in front of you. You can pull it up on your phone if you want to use the Bible in front of you in the in the pew there it's on page 778. And what I want to ask you to do is just to keep that passage open throughout the message and I'm going to read certain parts of it and then summarize uh, other parts uh, just to kind of fill in the gaps. All right. so the basic overview uh, of this story is as I mentioned it's about two guys Peter and Cornelius and each of these men have a vision. A vision from God. One of the the commentators I read this week uh, says it's a case of double vision. I I like that. It's a little bit of a dad joke, but as you guys know, I'm partial to dad jokes. And so uh, I'm going to go with that. It's a case of double vision. Here's the thing, though. Usually when you have double vision, it's a bad thing, right? Usually when you have double vision, it it keeps you from seeing clearly. You're trying to focus on one thing and you see two things. But in this case of double vision, the people who, who have it actually learn to see more clearly. And what we're going to see is that these two uh, visions co- combine to, to, to lead to a brand new way of seeing life. So what we're going to do is to look at each of the visions individually and talk about what they mean. And then at the end, we'll put them together and, lear- and see how we might learn to, le- to see differently as well. So we're going to start with the first vision. Vision number one, I'm calling this uh, vision, the gospel is essential for everyone. The gospel is essential for everyone. This first vision was experienced by Cornelius. As I mentioned, he was an officer in the Roman army and he was stationed in a town called Caesarea. Uh, It's in Judea. It's on the Mediterranean coast. It was an important port town for the Romans. And uh, the text tells us that, that Cornelius was a centurion Uh, You might recognize that root, centurion, like century. It means he was over 100 soldiers. Cornelius was was a big deal. Uh, He was powerful. He was influential in town. But that's not all. Look at what verse 2 tells us about Cornelius. It says, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. So unlike most of the other Romans uh, who looked down on the Jews and their religion, Cornelius was was what you might call a spiritual seeker. He hadn't converted to Judaism. He he definitely wasn't a a Christian, but he did respect the God God of the Jews. It says he was a God-fearer. He he prayed regularly. He he gave generously to the poor. So by all accounts, he's a good guy, right? If you're keeping score, here's Cornelius' resume. Great career, financially stable, Respected around town, generous to the poor, prays regularly. Seems like a good and impressive guy, right? Well, one day it's about three in the afternoon and Cornelius was praying as he had a practice of doing. And as he's praying, he has a vision. And this vision is recounted uh, beginning in verse three. So let's read this together. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, if you're Cornelius, this has to feel pretty amazing, right? (laughs) I mean, he's a spiritual seeker. He tries to pray, tries to give to the poor, but I'm sure never in his wildest dreams did he imagine that God would actually notice and send an angel to say thank you, right? I I think of this kind of like, let's say a, a, a landscaper who works on the grounds of Buckingham Palace in London. Let's say this guy has been working there for, for 10 years and it's his job to keep the flower beds nice. He's planting things, he's pulling weeds, right, day after day. So say he's, he's out there working, he's pulling weeds and all of a sudden he hears these trumpets and he looks up and he sees 10 or 15 of those guys that wear the funny hats, you know, the red, red coat guys and they come up to him and they say, we just want you to know King Charles has noticed your weed pulling. <laughs> That'd be a pretty big day for that guy, right? I think this is a little bit of what Cornelius might have have felt, God has noticed me? This is amazing. Here's where it gets interesting, though. The angel says, we've been watching you, Cornelius. You're doing a great job. You've been generous. You've been so faithful in prayer. And and I really like what Pastor Tim Keller points out. He says, at this point in the passage, we would expect the angel to say, great job. Keep it up. If you keep on this path, you're sure to end up in heaven one day. But that's not what the angel says. Check check out verse 5. Instead, he says, now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. This isn't what we expect, right? Uh, We expect the angel to give Cornelius a high five, but instead he says, hey, go send for this guy Simon in a town called Joppa, which was about 35 miles down the coast. Now, here's the really interesting part. When when we hear more about Cornelius' vision in the next chapter, remember the story is so long, it goes into chapter 11, Check out what we learned. This, this is Peter recounting the story of Cornelius' vision to his, to his friends, and this is what he says. He Peter he, Cornelius, excuse me, told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, "Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter." And look at this: He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. Now, on the surface, this is totally unexpected. We expect the angel to say, "Great job, Cornelius. Keep it up. God's really impressed. But instead, the angel says, great job, Cornelius. You need to be saved. You need to be rescued. This is so important because in, in our minds, it's, it's easy for us to think that it's just the, the quote, bad people who need to be saved, right? It's just the bad people who need the gospel. Just, you know, those other people whose lives are really messed up. You know, not like my life that's just pretty messed up or kind of messed up. But friends, the gospel is essential for everyone. Everyone needs the gospel. Romans 3 doesn't say that some have sinned and fallen short. It says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Even the people we sometimes think of as, quote, good. Because being good isn't good enough. No amount of giving to the poor, no amount of praying is enough. Friends, we all need Jesus. We all need the gospel. And that's the message of number one, is that the essential, vision number one, the gospel is essential for everyone. I want to turn now to vision number two. I'm calling this vision, the gospel is available to everyone. Available to everyone. Now, after the angel leaves Cornelius, he sends some of his men to go find Peter and to bring him back to his house. And so they set out down the coast uh, for Joppa. And and the next day, just as they're about to get to the place where Peter is staying, Peter has a vision. Text says it's about noon and Peter is up on the roof praying. And by the way, do you notice a, a trend here? What were both guys doing when they had the vision? praying. That's right. This is not an accident, friends. This is not an accident because when we pray, not only do we speak to God, we make space to hear from God. Not only do we speak to God, we make space for him to speak to us. So if you want to deepen and strengthen your relationship with God, if you want to hear how he feels about you, if you want to know his plan for your life, do what Cornelius and Peter did and devote yourself to a regular practice of prayer. Okay, so It's about noon, the text tells us Peter's hungry, his friends downstairs are preparing the meal, and as he's waiting, as he's praying, he has a vision. It's recounted in verse 11, it says, he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, at first, this might seem like one of those Food daydreams, I don't know if you have these, when you're hungry and sleepy at the same time. Uh, like, let's say it's later on this afternoon, you're on the couch, you're watching the cowboys, you're hungry, your eyes kind of start to glaze over, and then all of a sudden you, you could just swear that you see the DoorDash guy come in. And he's carrying this big bag, and on the side it says, Anamias. And then he starts to unpack cheese enchiladas, chicken fajitas, and fajitas. I heard an amen back there, good. <laughs> fajita nachos and then he pulls out the piece de resistance and you know what's coming right bluebell cookie (laughs) two-step bluebell cookie two-step and then he says get up John kill and eat (laughs) is that just me anybody else you might think this is just one of those food day dreams but there's actually a lot more going on here because Peter was a faithful Jew and as a faithful Jew he stuck to a very specific diet that was prescribed by the Mosaic law Leviticus 11 goes into great detail which animals a Jew could eat, they called those clean, and which animals they couldn't eat. they called those unclean. And here's the unexpected thing. All the animals in the vision that Peter had were the unclean animals. Jews weren't allowed to eat these foods. Now Now, why did Jews have to, to follow this strict diet? Was it some kind of Bible version of Whole 30? Were they, were they going on paleo? No, that was not the point. This diet wasn't about health. it was about holiness. See, out of all the nations on earth, out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, God had chosen Israel to be his people, to be the ones through Him, through whom his salvation would extend to the ends of the earth. And as God's chosen people, one of the things the Israelites had to learn was that they weren't supposed to, to imitate the world around them. They were called out to be holy. They were called out to be different, to live differently. And this talk on, took on a bunch of different forms, but the foods they ate and the foods they didn't eat were a big part of this this identity as God's chosen people. So when, when Peter hears, hears the voice that tells him to get up and eat these unclean animals, his reply was predictable, right? He says, surely not, Lord. Verse 14, surely not. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Peter's saying, hey, that's, that's not who I am. Now, now those, those dirty Gentiles may eat that way, but not me. Not me. No, I'm one of the chosen People. We're we're set apart. I'm not going to defile myself by eating those unclean foods that those unclean Gentiles eat. And then look how the Spirit responds in verse 15. The voice called to him a second time and said, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Fascinating, fascinating. This this reminds me of a phrase we use at our house sometimes. I don't know if you've heard this phrase. The phrase is, Don't yuck my yum. Anybody use this phrase? I don't know if you've heard this or not. If you don't know how how we use it, let me paint a picture. Uh, We use it when one member of the family likes to eat something that the rest of the family thinks is weird or gross. It's almost always my daughter, Grace. Um, Like, for example, when she makes herself a lima bean sandwich. Uh, I'm not exaggerating. She really eats lima bean sandwiches. They're not that bad, actually. Um, So one family member starts saying how gross whatever the first family member uh, is eating is. And then the first one will say, don't yuck my yum. Don't yuck, my yum. In other words, you may not like lima bean sandwiches, but I think they're delicious, so back off. Well, in a much, much more important way, I think that that's at least an approximation of what God is telling Peter here. He's saying, Peter, I know you think you need to avoid these foods and the people who eat them, but because of Jesus' death on the cross, things are changing. I have made them clean, now, here's the cool part. The vision's not just about food. It's not just about food. It's much, much bigger than that. Because right while Peter was reflecting on this vision and what it means, he hears the three guys, remember, that were sent by Cornelius. Those three guys were standing at the gate, and they called up, is there a man named Simon Peter standing here? And then verse 19 says, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs Don't hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So you see what's happening here? Right after Peter has this vision about food, where God tells him not to call anything impure that God has made clean, three Gentiles, the exact kind of people who would eat those foods, show up at the gate asking for Peter. And just in case Peter missed the meaning of the vision, the Spirit speaks to him and says, don't be afraid to go with them. I've sent them. So what's happening here? What's happening is that everything's changing. See, throughout the Old Testament, the way that that the faithful Jews experienced God's grace was by observing the ceremonial law and the moral law. And when they fell short, when they sinned, they had the sacrificial system to cleanse the tabernacle, to cleanse the temple so that God could continue to dwell with them. But listen, when Jesus died and was resurrected, everything changed. Everything changed. The ceremonial law was no longer needed This is what Jesus meant when he, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, I haven't come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. Jesus actually fulfilled the ceremonial law. Because he, the perfect lamb, is our once for all sacrifice. By his blood, he has made everyone who puts their faith in him clean. Amen. Remember how in the vision the voice said, don't call anything impure that God has made clean? Made clean, the the Greek word that's translated made clean, clean there is the same word that John uses in his first letter when he says the blood of Jesus purifies us makes us clean from all sin what is it that has allowed these Gentiles to be made clean what is it that has allowed us to be made clean friends it's the blood of Jesus and who is this cleansing available to everyone Everyone, because Jesus bore in his flesh the curse of sin, God's grace is available to everyone who puts their faith in him. Including Gentiles like Cornelius and including people like you and like me. No one is disqualified by their background. No one is disqualified by their past. You don't have to come from the right family. You don't have to come from the right country. You don't have to have the right education or the right resume. You don't have to have a perfect past. All you have to do is to recognize your need for grace, your need for the gospel. And all you have to do is be willing to turn from your old life and to the new life that Christ gives. The gospel, friends, is available to everyone. All right, so let's, re- let's recap. We said this is a case of double vision, right? First vision showed us that the gospel is essential for everyone. And the second showed it was available to everyone. And now in the rest of the story, we're going to see how this double vision leads to a new way of seeing. And I'm calling this new way of seeing God's kingdom is bigger than my categories. God's kingdom is bigger than my categories. This reminds me a little bit of a 3D movie. Has anybody gone to see a 3D movie uh, before? A few of you. Okay. Uh, It's amazing technology, they give you these special glasses, each lens has a different polarization and and together these two lenses, these two visions if you will allow uh, what what was once a two-dimensional image to literally jump off the screen. Things that seemed safely contained on the screen up there uh, actually take on flesh and blood, they take on depth and substance and I think that's a pretty decent description of what happens in the rest of the passage. Peter and several of his friends agree to go see Cornelius. And the next day they start walking from Joppa to Caesarea. And when they get there, Cornelius has gathered all his family, all his friends together. And and Peter walks in. And when when he sees everybody, he says this, verse 28. He says, you're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. You see it? Peter is describing this new way of seeing life that the Spirit has shown. him. He says, look, our traditions say I shouldn't be here. I mean, I don't mean to be offensive, but you know you're unclean, right? (laughs) Our traditions say I shouldn't be here, but God has shown me something. God has revealed to me that he doesn't play favorites, that he accepts anyone who puts their faith in him, and so I'm responding in obedience. So I came and now I find myself in a place I never expected to be with people I never expected to be with doing things I never expected to do. And then Peter takes a deep breath and he launches into a beautiful description of the good news of Jesus. This is an amazing sermon. You can, you can read it later in verses 34 to 43, but I'll just summarize it briefly. He, he starts out by saying that he now realizes God doesn't show favoritism, but accepts people from every nation. And then he tells the whole story of Jesus, his, his life his death, his resurrection. And then he wraps it up at the end by saying, everyone who believes in him, Jesus, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while he's still speaking, before he even gives the invitation, uh, the the Holy Spirit falls on everyone who is listening. The people who are there begin to spontaneously praise God. They begin to spontaneously speak in other languages, just like uh, the Jewish believers did on the day of Pentecost. And in fact, one of the commentators I read this week called this the the Pentecost of the Gentile world. And when uh, the the Jewish Christians, Peter and his friends, saw this, uh, they were astonished. They were amazed. And Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. Why? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And they were baptized in the name of Jesus that very day. Now, friends, it is hard to state just how revolutionary this was. Remember, just two days earlier, Peter was living in a world where he thought that salvation was reserved just for the Jews. He thought that the Gentiles were unclean. They couldn't even associate with them. And now here he is in the house of a Roman soldier, baptizing him and his family in the name of Jesus Christ as they celebrate the the presence of the Holy Spirit together. God's kingdom is so much bigger than Peter's categories. God didn't just come to save the Jews. He came to save everyone who would put their faith in him. Period. No exceptions. Not everyone who thinks like me. Not everyone who looks like me. Not everyone who votes like me. Not everyone from my country, from my ethnicity. Everyone, the text says, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone. Period. Peter's view of the kingdom has gone from two-dimensional to three-dimensional. This double vision has led to a whole new way of seeing, and now the kingdom is literally jumping off the screen toward him in living color, flesh and blood. God's kingdom is so much bigger than our categories. As we read on Thursday in the Growth Guide devotional from Ephesians 3, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Immeasurably more than our two-dimensional view of what it might be. He's able to do immeasurably more according to his power that's at work within us. Friends, his power and his plan are so much bigger than our categories. They're bigger than we can imagine. And this changes things for us. This changes things for us. I know most of us don't struggle with whether or not Gentiles uh, can come to Christ. But listen, all of us can have a tendency to shrink God and his plan down to our size. But what if God wants to do with us what he did with Peter? What if he wants to demolish our categories and show us that his plan is bigger than we could ever even imagine? How would this change us? Well, First of all, I think it would make us open to all people. Open to all people, regardless of their background, regardless of how different they may may be from us. Remember, at the beginning of the story, Peter uh, uh, separated himself from the Gentiles. But now God has shown him that this grace is available to everyone who believes. And notice it wasn't just a mental shift Peter didn't just say, hey, that's really cool now that God is saving the Gentiles, but I'll just stay here in Joppa, thank you very much. No, he got up. He left what was comfortable and went to a place that was uncomfortable. He went to spend time with Cornelius in his home. He engaged with him. He ate with him. He stayed with him. He preached the gospel to him. And I don't like this part of the sermon, but I I have to say it. It just makes me wonder, are there certain kinds of people that are outside my categories of who I'm willing to engage with. I mean, I would never say that. I would never say that anyone is beyond God's grace, but are, are, there, are there people that I can tend to avoid because they're different from me? Are there people that I can not reach out to when God's calling me to because it may make me uncomfortable? Friends, just to be honest, I'm, I'm afraid that, that that too often the answer is yes, and I'm praying that God will change my heart. I'm praying that God will change your heart, our hearts, so that we're open to all people. Now, I wanna be super clear about something. This, This is not about tolerance. This is not openness to all worldviews or all value systems. This is not about accepting all choices as equal. That would be totally unscriptural. As we said earlier, Cornelius didn't need to be tolerated, right? He needed to be saved. He needed the gospel. He needed to be forgiven. So listen, we're not saying that we water down what the Bible says about how we're supposed to live. About how we're supposed to use our money. How we're supposed to use our influence. How we're supposed to engage with our sexuality. This this is not openness to all views, friends. It's openness to all people. You see the difference? It's openness to all people. It's believing that God's grace can change even the hardest of hearts. After all, he changed ours. God can change even the hardest of hearts. And our responsibility is to love people and introduce them to Jesus. After all, God never appointed us judges. You recognize that? There's only one judge in the Bible and, and newsflash, it's not you and it's not me. God hasn't appointed us judges, but you know what He has appointed us? Ambassadors. Ambassadors. Check out 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5:20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you. On Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Listen, our job is not on the one hand to say all choices are equal, and it's not on the other hand to judge people who are different from us. Our job is to be Christ's ambassadors, open to all people, and inviting them to follow Jesus together with us. So we're called to be open to all people, but we're also called to be united with all Christians. When Peter and the other Jewish Christians saw that Cornelius and the others had received the Holy Spirit, they took it as a sign that God had accepted them based on their faith in Christ. And they said, if, if God has accepted them, who am I to reject them? But unfortunately, the sad truth is that far, far too often we as Christians yuck God's yum, if I can say it that way. Tragically, we, we as Christians can far too often reject other believers other people created in the image of God that Jesus shed his blood to save because they disagree with us on politics or how we ought to do church or because they come from a different background than us or they come from a different ethnicity or country from us or they dress differently from us or they talk differently from us or they spend their money differently from us or any of a thousand different ways we use to draw smaller and smaller circles around ourselves and the two or three people who are just like us to show who's in and who's out. Friends, may it not be so with us. It reminds me of one of my favorite uh, Larry Parsley stories. Uh, He's not here so I can just rip off his stories. It's fine. Uh, I, I did get his permission. Um, years ago, uh, he was serving at a, a church in East Texas, and uh, they were having a, a meeting where they were talking about a really difficult topic, racial reconciliation. And there was some tension in the room, as there sometimes is, when this topic is, is talked about. And uh, Larry and the other staff were sharing some scriptures uh, that talked about God loving all people and, and our responsibility to love our neighbor as ourselves, when, when one of the older men stood up and said, well, it may be Christian, but it sure ain't Baptist, I laughed too when I heard it, but it's not a joke. It's not a joke, it's uncomfortably true. And we, we, we may not say it in so many words, I just wonder how often do we inwardly, subconsciously think the same thing when it comes to Christians who are different from us in some way. But praise God, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. In Christ, by his grace, we can live as odd couples, amen? As those cleansed by the blood of Jesus, we can experience miraculous unity with other Christians, even when they're drastically different from us, even when they come from a different place than us, even if they like different music than us, even if they are from a different political party from us. No matter what the difference is, we can have unity in Christ because what unites us is so much stronger, friends, than what divides us. And not just that, who unites us is so much stronger than what divides us. I'll close with this. Uh, Every three years, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship hosts the Urbana Conference. It's a multicultural gathering that challenges university students to to share the good news of Jesus with the world. At the 2009 uh, conference, after the large group sessions each evening, uh, the students would break up into smaller groups for for prayer and reflection and conversation. And so, in one of the large uh, banquet halls, there were three uh, groups meeting in these breakout sessions. There was a group of Chinese students, a group of Taiwanese students, and a group of students uh, from Hong Kong. And you may know that those three people groups have experienced some pretty significant animosity over the years. And so there were large dividers uh, that were um, set up between those three groups. The organizers of the conference felt it would be uh, easiest and best for these students to pray and worship with people from their own uh, background. Except uh, that as the Chinese students were praying one night, they told their leader, hey, we want to invite the other countries to join us. And so they sent someone to invite uh, the other countries. And when the Taiwanese students received the invitation, they prayed about it, they talked about it, and then they opened up their divider and joined the students. And it wasn't too much longer before the students from Hong Kong pulled back their divider. And all 80 students from radically different backgrounds prayed and sang and worshipped as one when one of the leaders was asked about it afterwards, this is what they said. They said, in Christ, we're all one family and Jesus breaks down walls. Friends, by God's grace and through his spirit, may it be so with us. May it be so with us. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful and important passage. Thank you so much that your grace is available to everyone. God, we know if it weren't, we would have no, no way, uh, no, we would have no hope, we would have no way to be reconciled to you. But because of Jesus Christ, because of his blood shed on the cross, we can be restored in our relationship with you. We can have new life. And we thank you, Father, that this new life is not just for us and people just like us, but it's for everybody. And that through the gospel, We can be united with people who come from all sorts of different backgrounds from us. And it's not just a a concession. Not just, hey, we'll put up with these other people. It's actually a blessing. It's it's a joy to be bound together with people that reflect uh, your character in so many different ways. And so we pray, God, break our hearts. Break down our categories. Lord, show us that what you desire for us and for the world is so much bigger so much bigger than we could even imagine. Forgive us for where we've been closed off. Uh, Open our minds, open our hearts, and may we experience more and more of the grace of Christ that's open to all. In Jesus' name we pray.